Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is April the 2nd. We've had a lot of shows recently about... Uh, countries in the midst of political chaos, of stalemates. We've spent a lot of shows in the past trying to make sense of America, an America which, in spite of the Biden administration, still seems very much split between Trump's America and Joe Biden's America. There are other countries, of course, around the world which are like America, split in political if not chaos, certainly in a, in, in a political crisis of one, one kind or another. Uh, one country that particularly comes to mind on that front is, in, is Israel. Um, recently, there was an election ended in a stalemate. They've had several elections in Israel recently in the last year or two. They continually end in stalemate between Benjamin Netanyahu on the right and centrists and leftists. Seems as if uh, the stalemate uh, might result in Israel being on the verge of a new era, at least according to one Washington Post piece. Uh, but we're still kind of unclear. Israel uh, is an interesting country. Netanyahu now is talking to a guy called Bennett, a fairly right-wing politician who some people believed at least historically was beyond the pale, who has now become part of the mainstream. So Israel, in some ways, in an odd kind of way, is like America, split between two communities who are increasingly finding it difficult to talk to one another. One person who's given a lot of thought to Israel, both historically and contemporary Israel, is my guest on the show today. Uh, her name, uh, and many of you will be familiar with her face, she's a very well-known uh, television and, and movie star, is Noah Tishby, and she has a new book out. I think it's her first book. It's called Israel, A Simple Guide. Uh, Noah, would it be fair to say that the divisions in Israel in some ways reflect, echo what's happening in America between uh, conservatives and progressives, uh, a country split 50-50 down the middle? I think it would be fair to say that what Israel is going through is what America is going through is what the rest of the world is going through. I think the, the divide has been stronger than ever, helped by, as you well know, social media. And um, I think one of the things that the, the problem with what's happening right now in the world, in my opinion, one of the problems is that the inability to agree on facts. If we were not able to agree on facts and how we got to where we're at to where we got to, how are we going to continue and how are we going to find a solution? So Israel is, as I say, and I say that in the book, Israel is the single consistent democracy in the entire Middle East. In fact, it's so democratic, it's literally ungovernable because of the parliamentary system and how it's built right now. This is what caused Israel to go to fourth elections in less than two years. And I have been predicting for a while that unfortunately, I think we're going to go to fifth election. So, um, yeah, it definitely is reflecting, uh, reflecting what's happening in America and all over the world. And we're going to have to rethink everything, as I believe people like you are, are doing right now. Uh, Noah, the, the subtitle of your book is A Simple Guide to the Most Misunderstood Country on Earth. Very briefly, why is Israel so misunderstood, at least in your mind? 
It's a great question. So I've been, so I'm Israeli American. I was born and raised in Israel, but I always say about myself that I'm 100% Israeli and 100% American, which I know is bizarre to think of, but, but it's actually the truth. I have found since I started coming to the US that Israel generates the most amount of passion, anger, opinions. Everybody's heard about it. Everybody has a very strong opinion about it, but not a lot of people have basic facts, like literally basic facts. And it became infuriating to me when I would have people be like, oh, Israel is X, Y, and Z, but they're not able to tell me what the difference is between the PA and Hamas or what the borders are or how we got to where we're at. So it was important for me throughout the years to make it accessible because I had a lot of people asking me like, where can I, what can I read? Can you just give me one book where I can read everything and get everything and have it be easy to understand and relatable and reliable and, and, and fun. And I couldn't find that book. I just couldn't find that book. There are a lot of researchers and historians and a lot of amazing books that were written about Israel and the region, but nothing that I knew my friends that are curious about politics and want to get wrap their heads around it would be able to read. And I went, you know what? It doesn't exist. I'm just going to read it. So it is, um, it's simple without being simplistic. Israel is completely misunderstood. I had a lot of people who thought they knew everything about Israel and then read the book and were like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know this and I didn't know that. And um, I'm just very excited to be able to give people the opportunity to actually get their, wrap their heads around the region with what I call the uh, cunning use of facts. You think Israel is more misunderstood than America or China or Russia? <clears throat> well, in my experience, yes, because I look, there aren't a lot of countries in the world that generate that are that small, right? Like Israel is 8000 square feet long. And there we have uh, your, your, your book begins with a series of maps. Here we have the supposed I mean, some of these maps, I think, are quite polemical. The mm. historic map of the Kingdom of Israel. Yeah. Here we have um, uh, Israel under the British Mandate. Here we have uh, Israel post 1949. Here we have Israel after the Six Day War. Uh, and here we have Israel in the context of North Africa and the Middle East, which is obviously yeah. makes it a fairly small, uh, at least player in geographical terms. Exactly. It's a drop. It's a little drop in the ocean. It's the size of New Jersey. It has 9 million people living in it. 21% majority, 21% minority Arab live Arab living in it. And yet it's the country that generates the most amount of like boycott and obsession and UN Security Council resolution. And people are disproportionately obsessed with Israel. So but why? 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 No. What's the explanation? That's, that's what makes it the most misunderstood country on earth, because I'm like, why? Why are you so obsessed with this little speck in the ocean of the world? Why is a good question. There are a lot of reasons for it. I can't say that I was able to pinpoint one of them, but I definitely made the case for a few. Um, case number one would be a um, um, United Nations uh, giving it a whiff of legitimacy, uh, false legitimacy that's been going on for many, many, many years. So the bottom line is this, the neighborhood committee in the area, the Arab nations are in the, are in the area, were not into a Jewish state reemerging in that region at the beginning. Some leaders were throughout the years, which is actually another dot in history that people don't know about. King Faisal was all about it and was talking about independence for Arab and Syria and the Hejaz and independent for Jews and their ancestral land. But the majority of Arab countries were not into it. They, when 1948 and the independent independence war ended, um, before, sorry, before the Israel was declared a state, um, the Arab countries around the world were basically like, if a state's gonna be born, it's gonna be created, we're gonna attack it in order to destroy Why it. Why is that? I mean, at one point, Noah, in the book, you say yeah. um, uh, that 
and I'm quoting you here, uh, I'm trying to be careful because these are such complicated and controversial yep. issues. Yep. I quote you saying, there has been one other mega reason for why some in the Arab world have resisted the existence of Israel, and I'm going to touch on it oh so very gently. Oh, so and very. you use the word, the R word, religion. Are, are you suggesting that many people in the Arab world, uh, many Muslim Arabs are anti-Jewish? I'm not suggesting that at all. All I'm saying is that according to fundamentalist interpretation of Islam, some of it, they're resisting any land that was Muslim before being non-Muslim at the moment. This is not a judgment call. This is just how it is. And I understand it. I actually respect, even though I'm, I define myself as spiritual and secular, I totally respect religions and all of their um, interpretations as long as they don't try to kill me. Uh, period. End of story. So there is there is that. There is Jerusalem is is mentioned over six hundred times in the Bible. It's the holiest place for the Jews. It's the third holiest place for the Muslims. And it was a problematic um, kind of a problematic issue to begin with. And what had happened is there is like a, the undercurrent of religion that on top of it was a political agenda in the region. And on top of that, there are recent movements in the United States that are appealing, unfortunately, mostly to the left, the fringes on the left, which are trying to brand Israel as an apartheid state, a colonial state, which is literally when you read, when you when you know the facts and you don't base your opinion based on fact, but based on feelings, but based on facts, it's it's a, it's hard to argue. It's like it's mental gymnastics to try and argue any of these points. You uh, you talk about the the movement in the United States, uh, and you do dedicate a chapter to um, the boycott divestment sanctions movement designed to quite literally boycott, divest, and sanction Israel. Do you think that that, uh, which tends to be quite powerful on campus, do you think that's driven by hostility towards Jews? I don't know how that would be driven in any other way when the leaders of that boycott, that movement. Um, so here's the thing about the boycott movement, right? First of all, the boycott movement is not new. And actually, the first iteration of it was, his was in 1945, before the state of Israel was actually established. There was a, a movement to boycott Jewish goods in Palestine by the Arab League. So that's what they spend their time doing. That's number one. Afterwards, there were in the 70s and 80s, there was boycott of uh, companies, American companies, to not do business with Israel. So you can drink a Coke, but you couldn't drink a Pepsi because Pepsi was like succumbed to the, to the Arab boycott. And in 2005, the, the boycott movement kind of reemerged again as trying to boycott academia and, and culture and finance and all relationships with Israel. But, what, but again, let, let's go back to this. What, yeah. Why is this, uh, Noah? Is, there, is it just driven by people who don't like Jews? I, again, I'm suggesting in the book some interesting answers, specifically from my friend Majid Nawaz, who's a Brit like you, who's an incredible human being who had a very interesting take on this. The thing is this, the boycott movement is not a movement about, um, the BDS movement is not a movement about peace or about justice at all. They in fact don't use the word peace or two-state solution anywhere in their writings, and I've written, read, read every single word. They're a movement about making a country which exists not exist. And I just wonder how much bloodshed do are they expecting this to um, to generate? That's number one. And number two, can you actually separate resisting one country on earth Right, just specifically one country on earth, and that country also happened to be Jewish. Maybe that's a coincidence. I don't know. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna pose an opinion, but like this may be a coincidence, but that's just well, so it sounds to me like you are saying that much of this hostility to Israel is driven by 
people who don't like Jews? Is you're 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 not directly answering, but you're suggesting. I'm just not directly answering it because I think it's a very controversial thing to say. But well, I don't think it's that controversial, is it? I I'm I'm not a. I was very upset when this answer came up after the in the research, and I grew up in a world in which I thought anti-Semitism is gone. I'm like, there's no anti-Semitism. And even that settled after World War II. I, I was, I grew up in Israel. I thought that, I literally thought that was not a thing anymore. Okay. And the thing is this, if you, if you have a particular hatred towards one nation state on earth, I don't know exactly where that's coming from, but you may want to look at it because we all carry around subconscious biases, right? We've all learned this and people have subconscious biases about, about Jews. It's, you know, we all learned in recent months to kind of sit down and be with our subconscious biases, not judge them, not run to your defense of your character. Nobody's walking around saying flat out, yeah, yeah, I'm totally an anti-Semite. Nobody does that, right? But if you have a conversation in your head about the Jews controlling Hollywood and power and banks and money and George Soros, and you have all these kind of like biases around you, they may inform your opinion about Israel as well. Maybe subconsciously, but they may. So just get rid of them, look at the facts, and then actually form an opinion. It's interesting, Noah, that you um, that uh, you 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 talk, you use a lot of maps, and the issue of land is, of course, central to Israel mm-hmm. uh, and arguments about land. We had Simon Winchester, the English uh, writer, on the show recently, talking about his new book land, how the hunger for ownership shaped the modern world. Um, You've got lots of maps in the book, but you don't have certain kinds of maps. Maps are, of course, as political as anything else. Uh, When I was preparing for this show, uh, I found a map of uh, the Israeli settlements um, uh, on Wikipedia, which I suppose is a fairly neutral site, Uh, also uh, on the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Why don't you have maps in the book which reflect the controversy, the, the contemporary controversy about settlements um, on the West Bank and in Gaza? I actually think that I handle this pretty uh, pretty thoroughly in the chapter called Settlements and uh, handling it head on. And I actually say I didn't uh, provide a map for it specifically because these borders are still to be determined. But I did say that on the map, it looks like a, Swiss, a slice of Swiss cheese, which it does. So the thing about um, the thing about this book, for me, it's important to give the facts in a, a fairly balanced way. Obviously, I'm Israeli. Obviously, I'm a Zionist. I'm also pro-Palestinian. And it's important to look at both sides and understand both sides. When you say you're pro-Palestinian, what does yeah. that mean? I'm pro I'm, I'm, I, I think that's, here's the thing. There's a saying that if you're either pro-Israeli or pro-Palestinian, there's this concept. That's entirely not true. The peace camp in Israel, which unfortunately kind of, went dormant after the assassination of Itzhak Rabin. It's not that it's not there, it's there, it just doesn't have a voice at the moment, is like center left, center right, and the majority of Israelis. So the majority of Israelis are burned from um, disappointment throughout the years of attempts for peace. But the majority of it, the, the fringes on the left would say, don't ever break a settlement. And fringes on the right would say, break all the settlements. And the majority of the middle of Israelis are like, bring us a good deal and let's talk. If we know we can trust you, we'll do it. Come on. Let's do it. Give me, give me a, a, a minute or two on the settlements, Noah. What, what's happened and what do you think should happen in the future when it comes 
to the Israeli settlements in, in, in the occupied West Bank? That's a great question. And my God, how long do we have? So in terms of what should happen, I don't know. There are a lot of different ways to, to look at it. But here's the thing to understand about the West Bank. If you can pull up a map, that'd be great just so people to see exactly what I'm talking about. Right. Well, here so, we have these. This this is the this is the map. Um, draw it out. Draw it out so you can see the borders, uh, the borders of Israel and Jordan, the Jordan River and all that. Right. So do you see that map? Yeah, yeah, I see that map, but it's not going to be easy for people to understand exactly. Right. Well, some people be watching. Other people can refer to other maps, but just anyway, give us a general okay. idea on on so, on, so on what thing, needs to happen. Yeah. So here's the thing to understand. Um, <clears throat> Palestine, as a general rule, is referred to a geographical geographical location all around from what is Israel today, all around all the way to the end of Iraq in the east. So it's like a big, vast um, region. It was a um, underdeveloped peripheral uh, region of mostly the Ottoman Empire in the last 400 years and then the British mandate in the last you know few decades of, of the beginning of the century. The West Banks themselves, the problem with them is that legally and technically, according to the Geneva Court, according to international law, it's a little bit of a no man's land, unfortunately. And I'm talking about this not in terms of the people who live there, who suffer every day, but I'm talking just in terms of um, borders as we define them and nation states as we define them. So before the establishment of Israel, it was the it was the Ottoman Empire, then it was under the British mandate, then the British mandate divided it in the Jordan River, in the Jordan River to call that entire piece of land that is Israel today and the West Bank, they refer to it as Palestina A, which is uh, the initials in Hebrew for the land of Israel. Great. Then 1948 happened and Jordan took over these the, the West Bank, right? and the green line was created. So Jordan took over the West Bank. They tried to annex it. The world didn't accept the annexation. 1967 came up, came along and the Six Day War happened, which Israel was nearly decimated by all of its uh, neighboring state, which decided to attack it and, and, uh, and, um, and destroy it. And Israel took those lands back, okay? The West Bank back. And also took the Golan Heights and the Sinai Peninsula, which they later returned to Egypt in exchange for a peace agreement. The West Bank had at the time 900, 900 people, 900,000 people living on it. And because the borders of Israel were very small, Israel started building um, building settlements, which at first were about security. And then there was some religious zeal that kind of intertwined into them, um, mainly because of a town of Hebron, which is a town that's mentioned in the Bible, which has been, I think it's one of the oldest cities in the world that has been inhabitant uh, consistently since biblical day to today, and also had a Jewish, fluctuating Jewish community living in it at the time. The settlements are a huge red flag in terms of international community and a massive, um, and a massive divide within Israel. So for, for international audience to think that within Israel, the settlements are a done deal, it's not true. There are about 400, less than half a million Jews living in the settlements and 2.9 million Palestinians living in the West Banks. Right. And in, in those in those borders, those borders, the West Bank is what was supposed to be Palestine already. Right. And the question as to why it isn't is a question. It's a political question. And you got to go back to see the attempts of peace and what had happened, how they fell apart over and over and over again. Now, what to do with the settlements is also an open question, because some people say dismantle all the settlements. Some people say, wait, there are Arabs living in Israel with full rights. Why aren't there Jews, why Jews can't live in Palestine and have full rights as well. You know what I mean? So it's going to be a very interesting. Uh, and um, wh where is Noah Tishbe on this? What's her position? Well, 
It's a good question. I think that arguably right now, two-state solution would be the, it's it's the only solution that we can see right now. I'm all for um, nation's sovereignty and self-determination. I think that's extremely important. Having said that, I would like to see the Palestinians actually come to a cohesive um, agreement as to what is their, what is their nationalistic demand? What is it that they want? If, if you know, the, the Jews, no, no Jew wants the biblical land of Israel with all the borders from this river to the both sides of the river and all that. There's nobody that actually wants that, right? Here's, and yeah, here's the, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Israeli kingdom of King David and King Saul. That, right? After a resolution 181, when like the UN gave Israel small-ish land, the Jews were like, great, we want a land, not the whole land. It's irrelevant. So this is what I believe the Palestinian people will have to actually decide for themselves. What is it that they that you want? Do you want a land or do you want the whole land? Because if it's the chant of BDS, which is Palestine from um, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which means no Israel, then we're going to have a problem. But if you're willing to have a land, let's talk about borders and let's actually move this conversation forward. And I think it's the one of the politics, uh, Noah, of, um, of this are complicated. We've historically traced anti-Semitism to the right, but now uh, there's a strong anti-Israel lobby on the left. You describe yourself at one point in the book um, as a a lefty. What does that mean? And how does your leftiness play into this book? Um, So I was raised in a very progressive and liberal family. Like, it couldn't be more progressive and liberal. I think that today, if we actually think about this in American terms, this is quite murky because... You know, I, I'm a registered independent, a proud independent, right? Then again, I, you know, on social issues and social justice, couldn't be more to the, you know, couldn't be more to the left. Of course, on gay rights, social, whatever, every everything couldn't be more to the left. I'm very strong on defense. What does that make me? I don't know. I think that um, we need to be extremely um, firm when it comes to radical Islam, but then also we have terrorism, white terrorism. When you say firm, what, what does that mean? I think that we have to acknowledge that it's a real problem and we have to strengthen the moderate voices within is the Muslim world in order to actually fight that and transform that. People like Ayan Hirsi Ali and Majid Nawaz and Musab Hassan Youssef, and there are people within the Muslim world who are trying to tell us something. And I believe that to some extent, um, liberals can't hear that. So just listen to the Muslims. I'm not a, I'm not a Muslim and I, I'm not, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be juice-planing here. Do you know what I mean? This is not my job, but there's there are some things that are happening in the Muslim world. There's some oppressions that are happening within the Muslim world. And there are Muslim, moderate Muslim voices that we need to strengthen and support in order to help them transform themselves. No, on your website, I was somewhat amused. Uh, it says uh, under your bio that you are recognized as one of the 50 most powerful Jews in the world. So for anti-Semites who believe that Jews are running the world, Noah Tishbe is one of them. But in all seriousness, Noah, you are an Israeli in the United States. Mm -hmm. And Israel is as divisive in America, particularly amongst Jews, as it is anywhere in the world. Uh, We had, uh, and I'm sure you know him, Peter Beinart on the show recently, uh, who's upset a lot of people, uh, a lot of Zionists, a lot of people consider him now beyond the pale. Israeli uh, American Jews are, are supposedly, I'm quoting a piece here, are, have, uh, that there's a messy breakup of American Jews over Israel. Is that true? How, um, 
How do you expect the book to be received in America? Are you, is it designed to heal that messy breakup or are, are you on one side of that breakup? I'm definitely on the healing side of everything. As far as I'm concerned, the intention of this book is to create a better Middle East and to create a better you know, unity in the world. This is point blank. There's no question about that. Here's the cute thing about this, right? And I'm saying cute on purpose, is Judaism is one of the only religions that has been documenting dissent for thousands of years. So of course we're gonna have opposing views. There's no question about that. I am definitely in a position that um, Israel has not just the right to exist, I think it contributes so much to the world and it's important, it's, it's imperative that we, as not just Jews, but liberals and progressives and everybody, support it, strengthen it and uh, stand by it. Um, but I don't get that um, flummoxed or that upset by um, debate within within the Jewish community outside of the Jewish community, and I, I think it's I think it's important and um, and healthy. Um, again, unless no uh, unless nobody wants to kill me, I'm, I'm willing to hear it. One thing missing from the book, I don't know if it's missing, but by it's... the way, I'm sorry to stop us for a second, but people are saying that they can't hear me at low volume. Is that true? Uh, I put my volume up high. Yeah, your your volume is a problem. It is. Uh, but you, you might put it up a little higher. I, it's all the way up. When you say I people, what, what do you mean? Like, there's somebody in the chat that said, can't hear, low volume, can't hear her. Yeah, well, can you put your volume up? I did. It's all the way up. Yeah, well, tell them to put the, their volume up. Oh, maybe you put your volume up. Okay, great. Um. Yeah, one thing, as I suggested, Noah, that's, I wouldn't say missing, but it's the sort of, the shadow hanging over the book and of Israel, of course, is the Holocaust. Um, we had uh, we've had a number of shows about uh, the Holocaust. We had uh, recently a very moving book by Wendy Lauer, The Ravine, a book about uh, a particular photograph uh, of a murder in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Do you think that? Um, that to understand Israel, a simple guide to the most misunderstood country on earth, people need to have a better understanding of photographs like this of the Holocaust? It's a great question. Um, Persecution, pogroms, and the Holocaust are a thread that uh, has been uh, plaguing the Jewish people for thousands of years. There's probably uh, some research that it should be done on epigenetic memory of, of these traumas, these generational traumas. I, the reason I didn't um, touch upon the Holocaust in, I, I think I mentioned it in one paragraph and also, you know, in, in kind of in passing is because, because I feel like I, I didn't want this book to be, I wanted the book to stay optimistic and I wanted to make sure that I mentioned the Holocaust as something that um, that is, a, that is obviously, it's obviously one of the reasons, uh, that the world community, um, uh, decided that the Jews should have a place. I think it is the major reason. I mean, had there not been yeah. a Holocaust, it's hard to imagine the, the, yeah. the modern state of Israel. Isn't that fair? It's, it's, it's probably true. It's probably true. So because the world had seen what happens in on the flip side. And as we see now, it's 2021, and like in the riots, the, the riots that happened in Los Angeles, somebody spray painted, Jews were coming at you next to my house and my apartment in, in West Hollywood. It wasn't obviously targeting. That's because you're one of the 50 most powerful Jews in the world. No. I don't think they knew that I lived there. But, um, no. but, 
but it's this is this is something that's been around forever. So to to think that anti-Semitism is gone, and since anti-Semitism is gone, uh, and no genocide of any people can ever happen again, and therefore all you know Israel should be dismantled, and other countries should be it's it's crazy. It's it's naive. So I didn't touch upon the Holocaust and detail you know i spoke about my grandmother and her sacrifice that they had to do in order to get out of of czechoslovakia before before the nazis got there but um i just i just made sure to not not touch it that much just because i felt like it's this is not my place i needed to address it give it respect um allude to the fact that the world had seen what happens um when the jews don't have a place to go and you know just um just leave it, leave it at that and let bigger, better researchers than me get into the Holocaust in more depth. Uh, Noah, um, a few weeks ago, we had the Israeli astronomer, who's now the head of the astronomy department, oh, actually, at Harvard University, Avi Lobon. Uh, he has an interesting new book out, Extraterrestrial. It's got nothing to do with Israel, of course. But how do you think extraterrestrials, if they are indeed in existence, which according to Avi, they are, this seems to be the most insoluble problem on earth right now. It's been going on now 80, 90 years, perhaps a whole century. How would an extraterrestrial view this dilemma of Israel? Anything, of course, but a simple country, which you acknowledge at the end of the book. That's so funny. Um, so... <laughs> First of all, it's not just him, as Stephen Hawking actually said, I think right. the quote, to, to, to think that we're alone in the in the universe would would be blasphemous. So big, big scientists say this. Um, I think that, you know, it would be it would be funny because I always joke that um, the world we're going to keep having fights within ourselves until the aliens come and then we'd be like, oh, we're all humans. Oh, okay. You okay? Great. So now we can unite as one humanity. You know, hopefully, um, in peace with with uh, whoever is out there. But um, it would be interesting. I think. I think that. Um, I think all it would. It would be. And there's a star man waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'll blow our minds. Said yeah, one of the best things that David Bowie ever wrote. Yeah, yeah. And I think that. I mean, look. If all these scientists are are right, all these very smart people are are. Are right and there there is life and you know out there um it would put in question everything that has to do with god and religion holy books territories land ethnicities colors it would it would really f with uh, f with us pretty severely so you know if they're out there i hope they come at the right time no finally you at the end you dedicate your book in an emotional way to your your young child um who at some point will obviously become an adult and have to deal with this situation, whether in a, an American Jew or an Israeli Jew. Uh, under Trump, of course, there was some effort. Some people even believe that Kushner's Middle Eastern policy ultimately will contribute to Middle Eastern peace because of uh, the, the, the peace deals now being established in the Gulf. In 25 years, and, and you can come back on the show in 25 years and see whether you're right, where are we going to be in this this complicated situation as i said anything but simple uh in uh, you you call israel the most misunderstood country on earth i would say that the region is the most misunderstood region on earth where are we going to be here no oh, it's a great question i have no idea i hope the region would be living in peace and prosperity and and 
the radical voices on both sides would be, you know, um, mostly gone or somewhat gone. Um, but I think that we're going to look back at the Abraham Accord as a huge turning point um, in the region. And again, this is why I think that defining yourself as a Democrat or a Republican, it's a little simplistic these days because you can have a lot of complaints against Trump and still look at what Kushner did in, with the Abraham Accord and be like, wow, this is this is pretty extraordinary. Um, and it is. And I think I really hope that this is the beginning of a, of a shift in the region in which the moderate countries and the moderate leaders come together and uh, join hands to eradicate um, radicals on both sides. This is the first time that the 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 not so secret the, the worst kept secret in the region which is the relationship between the between israel and the gulf states is coming out into the public and um this was it was kind of sweet and comical to see as soon as those deals were um signed israelis flooded dubai and people friends of mine were in dubai going oh my god you hear more hebrew here than anything else and it's nothing this is nothing better like an enemy that you know cannot stay an enemy for too long and i hope that's where we're going well, if you want to understand or try to understand a country that, at least according to its author, is the most misunderstood country on earth, simple guide, which at the end, uh, Noah Tishby acknowledges is, is anything but a simple guide, uh, you need to read this book. She is, as I said, one of the 50 most powerful Jews in the world, for better or worse, and a lefty. I don't know if you can be both. I don't know what the third thing is. She's also a very well-known uh, actress and political activist. It's a it's a very energetic book. I think it has its biases, but I think Noah would acknowledge that. Um, in addition to the book, and in Noah, I know you're in Los Angeles at the moment. What in these strange times where we're still um, we're still locked inside because of COVID, what else should people be reading? Well, the good thing is LA is starting to open up. It's so exciting. It's suddenly you're kind of like, you know, peeking out going, oh my God, hello, hello. Is there anybody out here? Um, it's very nice. Very nice. And I hope we're, you know, we're, we're behind this, by the way, look at Israel's vaccine operation. Talk about entrepreneurial spirit and like, we're at war. Let's do this. Yeah. Well, we, if, if we were doing another 10 minutes, we could talk about Israel's startup nation. Maybe that's the subject yeah, of another whole, conversation. Oh, I'll talk about that. Uh, you can go ahead. But, and uh, yes. For, for another book, Noah. Um, um, I mentioned that book in my book. Uh, it's Hero by Justin Corda. It's The Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia. I'm obsessed with uh, Lawrence of Arabia as a, as a political figure, as a, his personality, what he had done. And uh, I couldn't couldn't recommend it more. If you haven't read that read it yet, go for it. Well, Noah Tishby, author of uh, Israel, A Simple Guide, Anything But Simple, Simple Country. Interesting book. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Andrew. It was a pleasure.